chapter 4, verses 1 through 7, which can be found on page um, 825 of some of the Pew Bibles. Again, that's Galatians chapter 4, verses 1 through 7. And um, I'll be reading from the um, New American Standard Version, which is also on the slide behind me. Now I say, as long as the heir is a child, he does not differ at all from the slave, although he is owner of everything. But he is under guardians and managers until the date set by the father. So also we, while we were children, were held in bondage under the elemental things of the world. But when the fullness of the time came, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, under the law, in order that he might redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father, therefore you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. May God bless the reading of this word. As we get back to our study in Galatians, we're reminded as we think about all of the letters of the New Testament that the letters that were written to the churches show us that the churches had problems. Every church has problems. The churches in the New Testament had problems. The churches that Paul wrote letters to had problems. We're going to talk about some of those problems before I continue the second part of my overview of the important themes of Galatians. What I'd like to do is um, I, I need a little bit of help. And as you can see, you can imagine what I've brought up here um, today. Uh, actually, you have no idea what's in here. Um, I'm not going to tell you what's in here, but we're going to play a little game. I'm going to see how well you really can remember the Bible and certain things about the problems of the different churches in the New Testament. So we're going to play a game that goes like this. I'm going to say the name of the church, and you have to tell me at least one problem that's found in that church. And if so, then I will open this, and you'll receive something that's inside. So I think I have maybe, let's say five. Okay, so I need five volunteers. Um, let's do all ages. So I'd like a, a cross-representation. Crossbridge is an intergenerational church. We go from young'uns to old'uns. I'm probably the oldest person in the congregation. But in any case, come on up. I see a hand over there. Uh, see another hand over here. Um, come on up. How are we doing on that? Okay. We've got some intergenerationality. Hey, we have three guys. I, I believe in equality in the church. So let, let, let's have some, some nice uh, sisters in the Lord. I, I, anybody want to come up? Um, Come on up. Helen, you're the next contestant on The Bible is Right. Um, someone else. We need one, one, one more person. Come on up. All right, come on up. All righty. Welcome. Now, you guys, everybody get a little bit closer because when it's your time, I'm, I'm going to ask you, I'm going to ask you a question. You're going to tell us first your name and then I'm going to ask you the, the question. Now, how, how good do you understand the Bible? Okay. Come on up, give us your name and then I'll give you an eh question. Okay. Name's Evangel. Okay. Now, I'm going to name this, the city of the church and you've got to tell me a problem. You ready? 
Corinth. Sexual adultery, chapter five. Whoa! Smoke. Okay. That I did not prime him with that answer. Okay. Now, as you can see, there's there's two different things in there. Some are big and some are small. You can take whichever you want. Okay. Okay. All right. Okay. These kids know their Bibles. Everybody, pie pie show for the youth leaders and the Sunday school teachers. And Pastor Chuck. Amen. Come on up. State your name, and it's going to get harder. Okay, you know, I see you're a little bit older. It's going to get a little bit harder. All right? Okay. I'm uh, Jacob. Okay, Jacob. Um, I'm going to name the city. You tell me a problem. You ready? Okay. Rome. Rome. Idols. Like, worshipping other gods and idols. Oh, okay. Yep, we can get that from the last part of Romans. So. And then the problem of eating meat sacrificed idols. So which would you like? You, you get a lint candy bar or a uh, munchkin. Which you'd rather have? Just take a munchkin? Okay, take two. Okay? All right. Teenagers need more. Okay, next. Come on up. We'll see. Share your name. Hi, I'm Chris. Okay. Now, it's going to be hard. I'm, I'm sorry. I, I, it's going to be hard. Laodicea. <laughs> yes, yes. Okay, yep. Yeah. Chapter 3 or so. Yes. Yes. Hallelujah. We got three people who understand their Bibles. The Laodicean church was lukewarm. They had left their first love. Okay. What do you want? Candy bar, lint candy bar, or munchkins? Oh, the lint. Oh, yeah. Take, take the lint. It's sea salt, dark chocolate. Okay, there, there you go. All right, yeah. Okay. Come on up. Helen's getting scared, all right? I'm terrified. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Helen. Hi. She's also terrified. Okay. Ready? No. Okay. <laughs> you want to stop and just say a quick prayer? Okay, there you go. Can I call a friend? <laughs> yeah, you can call a friend. Okay, we could try that. Uh, Thessalonica. What? Oh. <laughs> wait. Thessalonica. Wait. Okay. Thessalonica. Wait, is this for Thessalonians? Yeah. Oh. <laughs> Thessalonica, uh, Thessalonians. Okay. Oh, oh, oh. Can I call a friend? Um, you, you call a friend, okay? And while you're calling a friend, come on up. <laughs> we'll give you a Go call your friend. Share your name. And then I'm going to ask you a different one. Okay, you ready? Uh, my name is Laura. Okay, you ready? No. Let me think. Mm. How about... The church in Ephesus. Ephesus. Um, Ephesus. Ephesians? Yeah, that's right. Okay. Goes to the Ephesians. Um. <laughs> can you think of one problem? No. Can I call a friend? You can call a friend too, okay? Helen, did you call your friend? Yeah, I called two friends. Okay, and what did they say? They Tesla. said, a warning of idleness. Yes, exactly. We had people who didn't want to work, and so Paul says if they don't work, don't let them eat. Okay, very good. Um, so. Oh. Uh-huh. Wait, can I just look inside? Yeah, you can look inside. You can, you can check. There's a, lot, there's a lot in there. Take your pick. All right? Okay, there you go. You can just take one of those. All right. Come on back up. Ephesus. 
Divisions in the church? Yeah, but whoop, 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 whoop. Divisions in the church. That wasn't Ephesus. That was Philippi. Remember, I urge Euodia and Syntyche to live in harmony in the Lord. That two sisters not getting along, arguing. Okay. It was, uh, uh, can you tell me? It wasn't Ephesus, but your divisions in the church goes with one other church. Do you remember the name? Try it. Want to go ask another friend? The friend you asked was wrong. Okay. Well, <laughs> while you're asking, um, come on up. Okay, and, and which, which book of the Bible was it? Oh, yeah, that's right. That works. They weren't following Christ, so they needed to learn how to put on Christ. Very good. Do you want a Lent candy bar or a munchkin? Oh, there you go. All right. Very good. Thank you. Okay, I have more questions. I'm not going to say I'm giving out more donuts, but I can say I have more questions. As we come to the letters of the New Testament and look at the problems in the churches, you see that they all had problems. And sometimes they were very bad problems. The church at Corinth, they had divisions. Some people said, I'm of Paul. Other people said, I'm of Apollos. Other people said, I'm of Cephas. They were having the Lord's Supper and getting drunk in the middle of it. Some man was having sex with his stepmother, if you could imagine such a thing. In Thessalonica, you have lazy people sitting, waiting for Jesus to come back, not doing anything in the meantime. Um, engaging in wife swapping towards the end of First Thessalonians. It was really bad. Thessalonica was the house of cards of the Roman Empire, while Corinth was the Game of Thrones. And so what we see when we come to the churches of the New Testament is, is that they were messed up. They had problems. And when we go to those places to say these are places where Paul wrote the Holy Scriptures to help them address the problems, we realize that we come back to our situation right now in our church in Lexington, Massachusetts, in the 2018th year of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And we have to admit something, that our church has problems. Now, I'm not an apostle. I don't have divine authority. Wish I did, um, but I don't. So I must bring you the word from the scriptures instead of what flows through my own crazy, messed up, cluttered brain. But, but if Pastor Tim were an apostle, and if I were writing a letter, uh, the letter to the CBC GBIs, okay, or the the Crobites—that's somebody who goes to Crossbridge. We have a new word, the Crobites. If I'm writing a letter to the Crobites and I'm trying to talk about the problems in Croatia, um, in, in CB land, okay, then what problems? So we have roving mics. So our ushers, if you'll come up here, what problems would you say that we have in our church? I haven't been here long enough. I'm still in the honeymoon stage. I think our church is great. I can give you a million things that are great with our church. I don't know a lot of the problems, but some of you who have been here a while might know what the problems are. Raise your hand if you can answer the question, if you're a Crabite and want to tell... Tell me, what would Pastor Tim be writing about if he's writing the letter to the CBCGBites in Krabisha? Raise your hand. What are our problems? Here, this church. You don't think we have any problems? Come on, think. Every church has problems. We wouldn't be a biblical church if we didn't have problems. Because churches are made of sinners. What do you think? Okay, here we go. Raise your hand. Let's pass the mic and hear it loud. 
maybe procrastination. We uh, the plan to build the new part of the church was like made uh, a lot of years ago. The plan to build the new part of the church was made like a lot of years ago. So yeah. You Guang, did you plant him? <laughs> okay. Yes. The problem of procrastination. Wow. It, you can't give me a better church for the youth being sharp in this church. Okay, someone else. Um, what else is wrong with our church? Raise your hands. Um, a gap between the generations. Like, the older generations don't really talk with us a lot. <laughs> Ooh, okay. Someone else. Someone on this side. If I could finally get somebody from this side to talk, I'll give you an extra um, candy bar or, uh, or a donut. Anybody want to comment on what do you think our problems are? Someone on this side. Think deeply. Uh, distracted by wealth and materialism of the world. Okay. Distracted by the materialism of the world. That's probably every church, not just our church. Someone else? One or two more people? Please. Um, to be more inclusive to the strangers, to people we don't know, okay. that are new to church, especially for children's service, lots of children um, don't, are not aware when they have lots of friends. They didn't realize new strangers, like new kids, are feeling very lonely that they don't want to be in the church because they have no friends. Okay. So we need to be more welcoming. What's another problem? There are a lot of broken up families, divorced families. Hmm. I wasn't aware of that. Every church has that problem. Um, and thankfully we have so many solid families in our congregation, but it's a reminder to pray that some, some churches have people who are broken and their homes are broken. Thank you for that reminder. Someone else? One last person. Defining success by educational and occupational status. Yes, absolutely. In the Bible, success is determined by faithfulness, not by the result of your uh, exertions of your own labors. Paul desired, and Paul was a great apostle, but he desired to go certain places, and yet the Spirit didn't allow him to do that. So was he unsuccessful in going where he wanted to go in Bithynia, or instead was he in a situation where God moved him a different way, and he was faithful to listen to God, but yet he wasn't in successful in what he had planned to do? One last person, then I need to move on. One last person. Want to share anything that you've discerned as a problem in our church? Last chance? Okay. Well, I appreciate everyone who took the time to, to share today. We're looking at a church that had a problem. The church was in the city of Galatia. And Galatia was full of Gentiles. Galatia was full of... Of Jews, and some of the Jews who had become Christians were stressing 
that if you want to be a Christian, you have to first become Jewish. And if you're a male, then you have to go through the rite of circumcision in order to make you a real Christian. Because you can only really be a Christian if you're a continuance of the tradition that goes from the Old Testament to the New Testament. So the problem in Galatia was that the Gentile Christians were second, uh, second-rate Christians in the minds of some. The problem in Galatia was a problem where people were misunderstanding the grace of God and telling people, you have to keep the law in order to be a Christian and in order to be saved. And so the main problem in Galatia, shall we say, is that they didn't understand the grace of God. They got it mixed up with legalism. They got it mixed up with works righteousness. They got it mixed up with ritual. They got it mixed up with religious performance and activities and things that you can see. And they missed the essence of what the gospel of the grace of God in our Lord Jesus Christ is. So a few weeks ago, when we started this series, we talked about two themes that we see in the early parts of Galatians. Now, if you have your sermon outline, you can see I filled in the blanks because I'm not going to spend much time on the first or the second um, theme that we see. Coming from the book of Galatians. Galatians is, in a sense, written to get people back to the grace focus that God wants us to have today in our church and their church and forever in every church. And so what we saw a few weeks ago from chapter one is that what God wants for us and what really should matter to us is that you hold to the gospel of the grace of God in our Lord Jesus Christ. And every single word in that outline is important. You can't take out a single point. What's really important and what really should matter to us is that you hold to the gospel, the good news of the grace of God through faith in Christ. And then the second thing that we saw from the example of the life of the Apostle Paul and some of you came to sh- uh, share testimony. Ben Gu gave his testimony that day. Others of you will be giving your testimonies of being transformed by God's grace in the weeks to come. But the second thing that we saw from the life of Paul is that you have been personally transformed by God's grace. That's a theme of the book. Paul brings this theme to our attention through his own personal testimony of being transformed by God's grace. Let me ask you today, do you have a testimony like that? Have you been transformed by God's grace? I've run into people, good people, people who have served up here, people who came up in this church, who listened to the gospel preached clearly, clearly in Sunday school and youth group and in the morning messages on Sunday morning. And and yet for some of you, you didn't fully understand the gospel of grace until recently. And experience that radical transformation. If you haven't been transformed by God's grace to the point where you can say, what single thing have I stopped doing or started doing simply because I love Jesus and he's in my heart? Then maybe you need to question this morning. Have you been transformed by the Lord's grace or are you just a cultural Christian? Your parents come to church. They drag you to church. And so you're going to come to church. Or have you really experienced God's grace? Do you look at the cross of Jesus Christ and the resurrection and you say, I believe it. It's true of me because I've died to sin. I've been raised to newness of life. If you can't say that this morning, go to the book of Galatians. Go to the message of Scripture and find that grace of God that God wants every single one of us to experience and be transformed by. And notice from the passage that we just heard read today that there's a third theme of Galatians. 
And that third theme comes from Galatians 4, 1 through 7. And that theme that comes through Galatians, and it's an important theme, but it's not a theme that we actually think about too often. It's the theme that you are adopted by God and have his spirit in your heart. We see this when Paul says, beginning in verse four, when the fullness of time came, when the right time in human history came and God sent his son born of a woman, born under the law in order that he might redeem those who are under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. God sent Jesus into the world to redeem us. But not just cancel our sins, not just buy us back for our sins. He didn't just engage in a financial transaction. And that's the way many people think sometimes about church. It's about money. You come, you pay your offering. Um, we've got a building to build. We're going to build the building. That takes money. And people think of, of the church and even what happens in salvation is simply a financial transaction. Jesus canceled my debts. But brothers and sisters, that's not the essence of what it is. One of the themes of Galatians is, is that it's not about ritual. It's not about legalism. What it's about is relationship with God, the God of the universe, the Trinitarian God who we find in these verses, who does an amazing thing. Look at verse six. Because you are sons, and I'll explain that in a minute, um, because you are sons. Now, some of you are saying I'm female. Um, some of you, not me. Some of you are saying I'm female. And so why does Paul say of every Christian in Galatia that they're sons? Well, the reason why he says that is because he's dealing with the effect of what it means to be a Christian. And by saying that we were adopted um, to be sons, the NIV says later in this passage, God's children, but actually it doesn't say that. Every, every time it's talking about us being a child of God in this passage, Paul uses the masculine word, sons. And the reason why he does so is he's speaking in a Roman environment where only the male children had the adoption rights. They were the heirs. They were the ones who got the land when mom and dad died. Okay? If you were a woman, you got nothing. You got married off to somebody else to be their, their wife and to be their um, consecrated concubine and cook. That's what you got um, in ancient Rome. That's what you even got in Christianity at that time. Their conception of marriage, which Paul elevates to be to a higher and holy status in his letter, but their conception of marriage and their conception of childhood. And what it means is, is that if you want to have any rights whatsoever, is you have to be a real child. And that can happen through natural birth or through legal adoption. But if you want to receive everything that goes with adoption, you had to be male. And so Paul looks at you, every single one of you, regardless of whether you're male or female. And he says, if you believe in Jesus, you have received the highest blessing that you could ever receive in the universe. The blessing of being able to say that the God of the universe is your father. And so we have the entire Trinity in verse six. We have God. When Paul says God, he's usually speaking of the father. And because you are sons, God has sent forth. Notice carefully the spirit of his son. So now we have God, the father, the spirit of the son and the son. And what has happened? The spirit of the son. And the son who comes from the father who came into the world because of the love of the father, that God has sent his son and the spirit of his son after his son ascended into heaven to be seated at the right hand of God, the father. He sent the spirit into the world that the spirit might come in to our hearts, that we might cry out something 
that babies in every culture, every country in the world do. They call out to their dad. And they use different words here. It's Abba. Um, in Chinese, what is it? It's not Abba, it's Baba. Right, and get the accent on the first syllable. Can you say that again? Baba. Okay, that's what they say in Chinese. So, in, in Aramaic and in Hebrew, and maybe even in Greek, they said Abba. Chinese say Baba. What do you say in America? Daddy or Dada. I, I'll never forget the first trip my family took to Hong Kong. Our son Martin was, let me see, it was February 1993. So, he was one and a half years old. So, uh, and I had Martin, um, he's really big now. I could never do this right now. He picks me up now. But I had Martin in this little backpack thing. Um, it was yellow. And somebody, and Evie, no, it wasn't Evie. It was our Chinese language teacher, Stella, was taking a video um, while we walked Outside of the YMCA, and this is, Marty was like really happy to be in, in Hong Kong, and, and so here's what, here's what happens. This little short kid, um, one and a half years old, bald, blue, blue eyes, um, but yet very intelligent, even though he didn't look very intelligent because he didn't have any hair until he was four or five years old. He looked like E.T. at that point, but I'm not going to talk about that. Um, uh, my cute little son on the video says, hello, dada, and then he says it again, hello, dada. And that's the only thing I remember of all of our family videos that we took um, for all the years of our kids was, was Martin smiling, going, hello, Dada. Hello, Dada. Oh, somebody said that. Who was it? I heard a kid in the congregation say Dada. Uh, there we go. Okay. <laughs> so, no, I'm not your daddy. But that's not that. And that brings up the next thing I was going to say, actually, in my message. You didn't plant your child there to help me with my message. But the next thing I was going to say is, in all my years as a pastor, there's something I've never seen a, a kid in the church do. And you know what that is? It's call someone else who's not their dad, Dada. Now, what they will do is when they, and forgive me moms for what I'm just going to say, nobody send me an email about this. I'm apologizing before I give, give the illustration. But, um, what I have heard, what I have heard kids say is, ma, 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 as they're sort of mindlessly saying ma, but they may not really be thinking of mother. I have heard kids look at somebody who wasn't their mother and go, ma, 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 but I've never seen a kid in all my 35 years in ministry Look at someone who was not their father and say, Brothers and sisters, what we have in this passage is one of the most amazing things, one of the most beautiful things, one of the most sacred things, one of the most loving things in Holy Scripture. That if you're a Christian, then God has put His Spirit in your heart because you are a child with full rights in God's sight. He's put His Spirit in your heart so that you say to the God of the universe, Daddy, Abba, Father. Too often we are guilty of thinking of Christianity as a list of do's and don'ts, as a bunch of activities we engage in, or as something other than the essence of what it is, a relationship with the God of the universe, with the Trinitarian God of the universe. And that's one of the things that Paul wants to bring to our hearts today. Do you realize what a privilege that is to be able to go to God, to know His name, to call Him Father, to bring all of your requests to Him that are on your heart? That is absolutely amazing, the greatest privilege that any human being could ever have. And you have it because He is in your heart. 
and until he's in your heart, you won't say it and you can't say it. Or if you say it, you're faking and you're lying. Let's move on. There's another theme I want to bring to your attention today. Um, And that is the theme that comes from the next passage, Galatians 5, 1 through 10. We're not going to look at 5 all the way 1 through 10. We're going to look at one verse that summarizes um, this theme in chapter 5. He gets into the whole idea of if they receive circumcision, then Christ won't be of any benefit to them. And, and he's saying, hey, if you if you accept circumcision, then you're obligated to keep the entire law. So then as he's correcting them for the problem that's in the church, he says something very interesting in verse six, Galatians five, six. Look at it up here or look at it on your um, cell phone Bible in front that you're holding in your hand. But look at this verse. And I pray that if you don't memorize any other verse this year in your life, you memorize this verse. He says this for in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything. But faith working through love or in other in a different translation, the only thing that matters is faith expressing itself through love. What does that mean in Christ Jesus? Neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything. He says your racial and your ethnic background, indeed your religious background, doesn't mean anything. The only thing that matters is whether faith is working in your life through love. Now, this is very interesting. Um, And I'm going to take a minute looking at it. Think about that idea of faith expressing itself through love. Often when we think about faith, we don't think about faith as being action. But here it's action. Here, faith working through love, faith is a verb. So the only thing that matters is believing, working in your life through love. Now, my question to you at this point is, what is love? Is it a noun or a verb or both in this passage? When Paul talks about faith expressing itself through love. Well, we often think about love as not being so much an action sometimes, but we think of it as being a feeling. And often we think about faith and action and the things we ought to do in the Christian life as being action. There's the action, the things God wants me to do. Um, But here Paul says that that faith expresses itself through love. And, And in so doing, he's guarding us against two errors in the church. The first error is people who think that the love that he's talking about, that faith, the only thing that matters is faith and love, that the love is a feeling in your heart and it's only a feeling. And the second error um, is that it doesn't really matter uh, if, if faith is and, and love is not just a feeling instead it's an action, that then the only thing that matters is the action and you don't have to feel it. In other words, how many of you have ever felt like you did something out of obligation? You knew you should do it. You knew that the other person would interpret it as love. And so you did it, but you didn't feel like doing it. Anybody ever do that? Raise your hand. OK, we have some honest people over on this side. Come on up and, and, and get, get a donut. Come on up. Okay, come on up. OK, so we have honest people uh, uh, up here. And if anyone else dared here, you can take them all back. Um, if anyone else dared to raise their hand, you can give them a, a donut too. anybody want to raise your hand. Have you ever done something out of obligation? Not because you really felt it, but because, you know, you should do it. Okay, okay, we we have another child over there who wants a donut. Well, here's my whole point. Paul describes the Christian life is not simply one of going through the motions of doing what you're supposed to do without a heartfelt change. So that's why he says in Romans 6, 
But thanks be to God that though you were slaves to sin, you became obedient from the heart to that form of teaching to which you were committed. And having been freed from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. The obedience that we have as Christians is obedience from the heart. And so here Paul is saying, think about Christianity now. Everybody zone back in. Forget about the donuts. I'll give you one later. Um, Zone back in. In Christ Jesus and in the church, nothing matters. And in your Christian life and in your house and in your relationships and at work, nothing matters but faith. And here faith is an action. Faith working through love. That's what it's all about. Brothers and sisters, I say to you to my shame that sometimes my Christianity, my Christian life doesn't work that way. It becomes about my idea and what I think we should do or, you know, let's build this building or let's not build this building. Or I get fixated on some particular thing in my life or in the church's life. And I think it's really important, so important that maybe when I'm talking to someone else, I don't love them. Some of you, I can tell by your Facebook friends have Christians in your life who don't love you. They have strong opinions about things, but they have no love. In Christ Jesus, neither being a Republican or a Democrat or a Trump supporter or an NRA hater or unsupporter. I'm not saying the people, I'm talking about the organization. That doesn't matter. The only thing that matters is faith expressing itself through love. And that's the way we ought to communicate with people in Facebook and in the church when we disagree. So that when we face those times of disagreement where we have to seek the Lord's wisdom, we stay bound together in the love of Jesus Christ. Peter says, since then you have purified your hearts for a sincere love of the brethren. Fervently love one another from the heart. Brothers and sisters, it's all about faith. It's all about love. It's all about Christ. And that's the message of Galatians. Let's pray together. Lord God, we thank you that when push comes to shove, that the things that we think are often so amazingly important, liturgy, activity, are nothing compared to a heartfelt spirituality of living faith and fervent love. So we pray, Lord, that you would transform our congregation, transform our lives, transform us now, Lord, as we even come to the table to celebrate the meal that you've given us that reminds us of the most amazing love and the most amazing expression of trust in the Heavenly Father that we could ever imagine, the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. So we pray in his name. Amen.